This is Tani Talks Radio, the cheer where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep, which we do live once a week and, of course, can be listened to afterwards as a podcast. This week's episode is dedicated to Eli Nishmas, my baby niece that just passed, Ruchama Tikva Bas Eliezer David. Her neshama should have an aliyah. If you're interested in joining the beautiful campaign, the mission to make a beautiful mikvah to help people that need privacy in their own lives for many different reasons, a beautiful concept and a beautiful idea started by my brother's family, you should join us at thechesedfund.com slash ruchama tikva slash ruchama dash tikva dash mikvah. That's thechesedfund.com, one S slash R-U-C-H-A-M-A-T-I-K-V-A slash R-U-C-H-A-M-A dash T-I-K-V-A dash M-I-K-V-A-H. It's a beautiful idea, wonderful concept, and it should be a Melitz Yosher, and it should be an Aliyah for the Neshama for Ruchama Tikva. You can also message me for details, maximum T-E-E-7 at gmail.com if you'd like to join us. This year... We will be talking, God willing, the idea of the measure for measure and also bringing in some ideas on Pesach. And God willing, we'll take it further next week talking about Pesach itself. But we want to talk about the idea of Mida Kenegad Mida. We want to talk about the idea of measure for measure, especially since oftentimes in life, many times in life, things don't seem fair, things don't seem right, and things just seem difficult, especially when dealing with loss like today, and especially when dealing with difficulties that Hashem sent us in life, or Yisurin, or different aspects. And the question becomes, in our own lives, how do we deal with such difficulties? How do we deal with understanding and knowing that it's all in the measure? Hashem measures out for us like a recipe that this person needs this, and this person needs that. How do we deal with the idea of different travails and yasurin and onshin that we think come to us in difficulties in life and unfortunately who better to speak about this than myself unfortunately i lost my dad when i was nine i lost my brother when i was 20 and unfortunately the baby niece passed away today as well besides for the 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 wheels of life my zidi my great uncle throughout life unfortunately dealing with too much loss much loss and for many circumstances and many situations, it would seem easy to throw in the towel, easy to say all is lost. Where's the media connecting me to? Where is the fairness? Where's the justice? I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. That is one path in life. That's not the path that I chose to take myself. But when we look at life and we see difficulties in life and we see, I wish I had this, I wish I had a dad, I wish I had that brother, I wish I had this or that, it's very easy to want to throw in the towel and, and it's, and it's hard to come to terms with a lot of these difficulties. It's hard to stand up and stay positive and stay humorous and stay as I can as a, as a hopefully a good husband, hopefully a good dad, and hopefully a good contributing member of society, especially with all my side projects. For me, a lot of times it's very difficult to grapple with the subject, and that's why I like to tackle it head on. What better way to deal with it than to look at the sources, to look at the ideas of how we could try to apply it to our own lives. And I've thought about it before, but it's always good to take a new aspect and look at it, especially with what happens in our lives. So the question becomes, how do we look at this Mita Kanegamita? It's all in the measure, measure for measure. You ever hear the phrase, what goes around comes around? What about these other ideas, retributive justice, or as you shall do, so shall be done to you. There's also the idea of he reap what he sowed, and the one that goes, he had what was coming to him. Lastly, treat others as you would like to be treated, which is the golden rule, which is a famous one. And of course, the idea of measure for measure. And in life, 
I find it very difficult because, you know, oftentimes we do what we can, my wife, myself, my kids, as much as we can to give and to give. Again, I don't have a lot of money. The cards are maxed and whatnot. But there are interesting, creative ways to give. And a lot of times we don't always see it coming back because Hashem doesn't always give it back in way X or way Z or way Y. This guy has millions. This guy has this and this guy has that. And I might not have that. But we think about Mida Kanagamida. We have to look at how it comes and plays out in our life and realize it might come in different ways. Yes, I might not have the millions, but Baruch Hashem, my wife and I have a wonderful life where we try to spend time with each other every single day, try to enjoy the kids every single day, which a lot of men, a lot of husbands, a lot of spouses can't say. We have to look at Mita Kanegabita in a different kind of a way. People at times, unfortunately, especially when thrown many different difficulties in life, people at times tend to have a very sour disposition. Yes. It's very easy to be very sour, especially when you lose as much as me or you lose as much as other people. You know, you think about many famous rabbis, many famous sages. The Klesenberg Rebbe is a classic example. Lost everything. Lost a wife, I believe, 11 children. Could have easily throw in the towel. He was a very good friend, his family, very good friend of my wife's grandfather, very close. Easily could have thrown in the towel, easily could have given up, could have walked away. That would have been the simple solution, the easy solution. I don't want to deal with this. I can't deal with Hashem. I can't deal with God. I can't deal with Judaism. I can't deal with this. I lost so much. That's not what his response was. That's not what his reaction was. His reaction was to start over, make beautiful hospitals, make a beautiful, beautiful difference in the world. But oftentimes there are the people that do have the sour disposition, that do give it over the world, then do throw in the towel. I think of the example of, unfortunately, the person that left the fold and a whole series, a whole movie was made because of that person for very, very bad press, kind of a chil Hashem. But there are some people that don't deal with the the things in I what I believe in the best way. I mean, I don't think I'm in the best way, and there are many of us that struggle with it day to day, but there are some aspects and some reactions that we know are not the good reaction to have. Some people even have what's called the resting mean face. I've seen this many times in person. Resting mean disposition. When even not talking, you look at their face, there's projected anger, this projected meanness to the world. A sage once said that our face is the public domain. We should try in our situations even through difficulties, to portray happiness and kindness through our eyes, which are the windows to your soul, and our face, which is kind of like the Rosh Hashanah, it's kind of like the public domain. People see your face, it's broadcast to the world, everyone can see. In life, what we do has effect upon others and effect upon ourselves. You know, if we treat others badly, God, God forbid, We might be treated badly too. If we are grouchy or angry, especially all the time, everyone around us will be grouchy or angry because what goes around comes around. We are treated as we treat others. If we take care of others, we clothe them, we feed them, we donate, we give money, and if you can't money, we give time, give ability. We do good for others. Hashem will do so for us. In fact, the sages tell us, the Talmud tells us how do you attach yourself to Hashem? It says, Vidavak Hashem. I don't, I don't remember the exact verbiage, but you're supposed to connect to Hashem. And the sages say, how do you connect to Hashem? Hashem is a all-consuming fire. You try to touch Him, you will be burnt. Uh, Moshe Rabin himself couldn't even look at Hashem at the front. He had to look at the back, through the crevice, in the, in the cave, in the stone. How could you attach yourself to Hashem? And the sages, the commentators, the Mepharshim explain you have to follow in Hashem's ways. The beginning of the Torah starts with Chesed. Hashem clothes Adam and Chava. The end of the Torah ends in Chesed. Hashem buries Moshe himself. 
So how do you attach yourself to Hashem? By following Hashem from Aleph to Tuf. By doing chesed like Hashem does chesed. Hashem clothed the ones who didn't have clothing. We need to give clothing to those who don't have. Hashem visited the sick, like Avram Avinu. We need to visit the sick. Hashem was able to give those who didn't have. We need to give those who didn't have. The possibilities are endless and the examples are endless. And we have to follow what Hashem does. We have to need to emulate His ways. We're supposed to be like Hashem and emulate Hashem, His good ways and the deeds for others. And then it will come back to us. Especially in our entitled and spoiled give me society, this idea needs to resonate for all. I believe that the very famous phrase is very apropos, especially nowadays. Derech Eretz Kadma La Torah. Proper manners comes first. The way to relate to others the world should be through a viewpoint of manners and midos. If we have sterling quality traits, not only does it reflect well on us and our families, but for the Jewish people and the world at large, making a great Kiddush Hashem everywhere. We have such power to affect those around us that we should do so only in positive ways to better the world. All we have left after 120 years is not the car, not the house, not the clothing, not the Gucci, the Prada, whatever, Dolce Gabbana, what you spent thousands on. You don't take that with you. Everyone's buried in simple white tachrichim, simple plain garments that don't cost uh, an arm and a leg. After 120 years, all we have, besides hopefully leaving behind a legacy of biological family children, what we take with us, what we leave behind is the spiritual children, the spiritual deeds, the mitzvahs, the chesed that we accomplished, the deeds that we did, and the reputation we leave behind. Do you know that the Mishnah Perkyavis tells us that the highest keser, the highest crown, is not keser Torah, is not keser Kahuna, is not keser Malchus, but keser Shem Tov, Ola Al the best thing you can have, the best crown you can have is the crown of a good name. You could have a king, but if he has a terrible reputation, he's a terrible king. You could have a coin. The coin gadol doesn't have a good reputation, doesn't really mean as much, almost doesn't mean anything. You could have someone who has the Kesser Torah, but if that's a person that's a wicked person, that doesn't have sterling mito, sterling qualities, doesn't help his fellow man and help anyone around us, what does that Kesser really mean? The Kesser Shemtov Ole Agaveim, that's what stands on top. That's what we need to leave behind. After 120, a sterling reputation, beautiful manners, and a memory that is blessing to all, especially to the world at large. If we fine-tune our midst and the idea of measure for measure, we could hopefully do so as well. We think about the idea of what it talks about in the Gemara in Sanhedrin. Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmini says, Rabbi Yonatan says, from where is it derived that all measures are dispensed by Hashem, that are the, they are dispensed mida keneged mida, measure for measure? It's from a verse in Malachim Bet, very famous. Elisha says, hear the, the word of the Lord Hashem. So said Hashem, tomorrow at this time, one seah of fine flour will be sold for one shekel, two seah of barley for one shekel in the, in the gates of Samaria, I believe there was a scoffer, a person who didn't believe this said, that said, is they're going to open up the windows in Shemaim? Is this going to happen? And Elisha says, you will see it, but you will not partake of it. And lo and behold, the next day, he literally gets trampled to death. We shouldn't know from such things, but he literally gets trampled to death, and everyone goes and gets the say a, a flower for exactly that price. He saw it, but he couldn't benefit from it. Rabbi Sachs, that's all, points out on com. the central principle 
of the covenant, of the treaty that Hashem made with Noah. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image of God has God made man. This is Mida Kenegan Mida, or retributive justice. As you do, so shall you be done to. In fact, the Torah does something very subtle here. The six words in which the principle is stated are a mirror image of one another. Number one, who sheds. Number two, the blood. Number three, of man. 3a by man 2a shall his blood 1a be shed basically shed to shed man to man blood to blood it's a perfect example of style reflecting substance rabbi saxatel is very good at this when he looks at verses and he looks at phrases and he looks at how things are laid out in the torah he finds these things so when you look at this verse you look at this plus it's a perfect example of the style reflecting substance what is done to us is a mirror image of what we do the extraordinary fact is that the first moral principle set out in our torah is also the first moral principle ever to be scientifically demonstrated tit for tat is the computer equivalent of retributive justice whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed we know the verse says in Yeshaya, the Pusik says in Yeshaya, Hail the just man, for he shall fare well, he shall eat the fruit of his works. Woe to the wicked man, for he shall fare ill. As his hands have dealt, so shall it be done to him. And of course, the Mishnah in Perkei Elvis, my favorite safer of all time. Of course, we are currently in season six. We're going to take our hiatus, obviously, for spring and Pesach very soon. But we go through the whole year. And we talked about this Mishnah a couple of months ago. In Bet Vav, it talks about Hillel looking at a skull in the water. Afhu ra'agulgoles acha shesafa al penei hamayim. Amar la al de'atf. Hila literally sees a skull floating on top of the water. He says to it, since you drowned others, others drowned you. And in the end, those that drowned you will be drowned. Because there was always justice that Hashem will make in the world. And the Gemara Nadarm points out that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi says, anyone who divines, he guesses and looks for signs about the future, the sign will injure him as it says, for there is to him... Low divination for for Yaakov from Bamibra. The Gemara asks, but isn't low written with the letters Lamed Aleph, meaning no divination, as opposed to the letters Lamed Vav, where there is to him, but meaning that he will be injured not based on the verse, but because of the concept of measure for measure. He attempts to tell his fortune, it will injure him. And there are many examples like this. We look at Bamidbar. In Paragidal, it talks about the idea of you bear your punishment for 40 years corresponding to the number of days. A very famous example of the spies, the Maragam, they, they set out for 40 days to look through the land, to go up and down. Of course, Yoshua and Kalev are not involved in this, but the 10 spies, and Moshe had an inkling, by the way, that there was something fishy, something not right in the beginning, but Hashem still let him send, because we see in the words, it says, Shlach Lecha. If the, you look at the beginning of the parsha, it doesn't say Shlach Li, Hashem doesn't say Shlach Li, Shlach Lecha. It's your idea, you send it. But somehow, Moshe must have had some sort of apprehension, because he calls over Yehoshua, and he changes his name. Hoshea to Yehoshua because he doesn't want them to be part and parcel of the council of the spies. So there must have been some level, some apprehension sending them out, but maybe Moshe felt like more good than bad could come about it. But regardless, they go for 40 days and they speak very ill of the land, so the punishment was one day per one year. 40 years corresponding to the number of days. You scattered the land a year for a day. It really means that one day per year, but really, obviously, it was really 38 years because it was really a year, and then there was a year cut off, but regardless, the tit-for-tat idea. And the Gemara talks about that the day when they were very sad about this decree was none other than the ninth of Av. The Gemara in Sota points out in, in Lamed 
Vav and Lamed Hey, excuse me. The whole Ada lifts up their eyes and lifts up their voices to cry and to weep when there actually wasn't anything, you know, this is what Hashem decided and they're supposed to make the best of it. But instead they lift up their voice and they cried because they lost out on the ability to go to the land. Rabbi says that Rabbi Yochanan says that day was the eve of the ninth of Av. Hashem says to them that day was a gratuitous weeping, a weeping for no reason. I will establish that day for a weeping for really bad things in the future. So the point is that what we do affects others. You should make sure to only spread good, then the good comes back. Mishnah Soto also points out, in the measure with which a person meets out to others, they meet out to him. And of course, they talk about the, the idea of the Sota itself. And the Rashi talks about in Bamidbar also, that when they talk about the Korach and his children, we will not go up in Bamidbar in Perak Ted Zion, it talks about how the mouth tripped them up, Rashi points out. Unwittingly, they made mention of their fate, that they would have only a descent. The words are taken to mean we shall not be going up, but we should be going down into the depths of the earth. And Moshe requested, that Barbanel points out on Bamidbar, that Dustin and Avirim and their cohorts should be that they're swallowed up by the earth, since that would be their punishment measure for measure. They sin by opening their mouths without license to devour and destroy the master of all prophets, so they themselves being despicable and lowly. So the earth, which is the lowest of all the elements, the lowest point was the ground, would open its mouth and swallow them as well. Serial Chavid Regular points out on H.com, Nothing more quickly procures divine forgiveness for our sins, both for those we remember and those that we don't, than forgiving those who have sinned against us. The principle of Mida Kenegan Mida means that we get what we give. We stand before Hashem and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and quite a ways from now, but not as far away as we think, we stand before Hashem on those awe-inspiring day, all, all days. Our most compelling defense is, I have forgiven those who have sinned against me. Please forgive me in turn. Every time we forgive, we open up the gates of forgiveness in the world, and we are the first ones to walk through. We think about the aspect we're coming to Pesach in just a few short days, and there's a lot of Mita connected Mita also talked about in relation to the Mitzram and Mitzrayim itself. The Svarno points out on Shemos and Paragilchet, Hashem saved the people by using the very means that the Egyptians had used to harm them, to harm their oppressors. The word Zadu, past tense, occurs as future tense, Yazid, in Shemos and Paragilchet, in Parag- Chaf Aleph, excuse me, describing the deliberate commission of a crime, a sin. The sin Yisro had in mind was that Hashem had killed the Egyptian firstborn as a retribution for the male babies of the Jewish people having been thrown into the river to drown. The Egyptians died by drowning just as their victims, the Jewish babies, had died by drowning. And it also talks about, by Foreman talks about one of his videos, why do you think the first element, the first maka was blood? To try to show to them that they thought that the water could hide their devastating cruelty and their disgusting wickedness and they thought that it would be a way of hiding things of of putting it under the rug putting it under the river but Hashem turned it into blood to show the the all the murder and the infanticide that was done by the Egyptians that the water turns to be witness to bear witness to the terrible terrible crimes that they themselves did the water turning to be the witness of all the blood of all those that they destroyed 
The Gemara points out in Sota, there's another way to punish the Egyptians with water. He does not bring a flood upon them, but they may come and fall into the waters. It says the sea returned to its strength when the morning appeared. The Egyptians fled towards it. The Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, indicating that the Egyptians fell into the water. And this is what Rabbi Lezer says. What's the meaning of that which is written now that I know Lord is greater than all gods? By punishing the Mitzrim with the water in one of the ways they tried to use it. And of course, they thought to destroy Israel. That's the way that they were destroyed. They thought they would destroy Israel by water, and it's by water that they were exacted punishment, as the Mechot of Rabbi Shmuel points out. So in the exact ways we affect others, we get affected, like the waters to the Egyptians. And each of the Makos, by the way, we're coming up to it in about just a week or so. So it behooves us to think about the Makos itself as tourresponse.org from Mr. Robert Sasson based on the Medrash Lel Shemorim. Talk about the Mida Kenegamida in each of the Makos, which is a, a precursor to hopefully talking about Pesach next week before the actual holiday comes upon us on next week's episode. God willing, Mr. Shemli Nedder. Why blood? The Egyptians saw that the children of Israel would immerse in the mikvah when they became impure because of Taras and Mishpacha. And of course, please join us in the dedication of the future idea of the mikvah for Ruham Tikva. You can go to chesedvan.com in order to join us in this beautiful endeavor. The Egyptians withheld water from them so they could not immerse in it in an attempt to stop them from the mitzvah of procreation. So Hashem turned all of the Egyptians' water to blood. As Yalkut Shmoni points out, another reason the Egyptians forced the children of Israel to draw water from them. For the Medrash Chanchuma, why frogs? Number two, the Egyptians told the Bnei Israel to go out and bring them insects and other disgusting creatures so they could play with them. Hashem brought frogs on the Egyptians until the sounds of the frogs could be heard in the stomachs of the Egyptians, as the Yalkut Shmoni points out. Why Canaan? Why lice? Three, the Egyptians would make the children of Israel sweep their houses, their streets, and their markets. Therefore, Hashem changed all of the dust in Egypt into lice until there was no more dust to sweep. Yalkut Shmoni, another reason the Egyptians prevented the children of Israel from taking baths and washing their clothes, as the Medrash Sechal Tov points out. Now, why wild beasts? The Egyptians told the children of Israel for four to go and bring bears and lions and make beings in contest with the animals. Therefore, Hashem brought all the wild animals against the Egyptians. As the Alkachmoni points out, why animal sickness, animals dying? Because the Egyptians made the children of Israel shepherds of horses, camels, donkeys, cows, and sheep. Therefore, sickness came and killed all of the animals that the children of Israel shepherded until there were no animals left for the Jews to shepherd, as Yalkashwani points out. Boils. Why? The Egyptians made the children of Israel servants to warm the cold and to cool the hot. Therefore, boils came on them in order that they would not be able to wash in either hot or cold. From Yalkashwani. Another reason the slavery was so intense that the children of Israel did not even have a moment to scratch themselves from the hard work, as the Medrash Agada points out. Now, why hail? The Egyptians made the Jews plant gardens, vineyards, trees, and orchards. Therefore, hail was brought upon them and broke everything that the Jews planted, as Shmos Rabbah points out. Locusts, because the Egyptians made the Jews sow wheat and barley and beans and lentils and all types of kitneos, legumes. You know we can't have kitneos on Pesach unless you're our Sephardi friends. Therefore, locusts came upon them and ate all that the Jews had sown, as the al point out. Now, why darkness? When an Egyptian would eat a meal at night, he would bring a Jew and sit the Jew opposite him. He would light a lamp and place it on the head of the Jew. He would say to the Jew, See that you don't bend your head from side to side, otherwise I'll cut your head off, as the Medrash points out. Another reason the Egyptians conspired to imprison the children of Israel, as the Medrash points out, so they had darkness themselves, so thick the darkness that they couldn't move. 
And why the death of the firstborn? The Egyptians wanted to kill the children of Israel. Plain and simple, Medrash Tanchuma points out. Another reason. The entire time that the children of Israel are in exile, Rachel, I mean, our mother Rachel, cries over her children not only once, but the entire time that they are in exile. Because the Egyptians caused Rachel to cry out loud, Therefore, Hashem punished them with crying out loud. As it says by the death of the firstborn, there was no house that did not have a mace. There was a great cry in all of the land of Egypt. Because whether it was the Behor, whether it was the head or the oldest, in every single house, there was death, as the Tom Sitz HaZohar points out. So by each Makkah, there was also Mida Kenegan Mida. So in our life, too, if we want good Mida Kenegan Mida, we should put goodness out into the world. We should put light out into the world. We should be involved in endeavors and missions and tasks that are good so that the wheel of good can constantly be turning around and come back to us as well. Gemara Shabbos points out in Kufhei, the, the Gemara cites that Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi said that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said in the name of Bar Kapar, anyone who sheds tears over an upright person, the Holy One, blessed is he, counts his tears and places them in his treasury. And the Gemara Salta points out, who had a greater burial than Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu? No one except for Hashem himself did his burial. Again, that teaches us ourselves to be involved in many aspects of chesed. This is a chesed. Shalamus Moshe can never do anything for Hashem after this, obviously. Hashem literally took care of, of this for Moshe, the ending of the Torah is that Moshe is buried by none other than Hashem himself. Moshe was involved in Aaron's death and burial place. Moshe was involved in the bones of Yosef. So Hashem was involved in the bones of Moshe, in the burial of Moshe. The Gemara points out also in Erechin, Rabbi Shmuel bar Nadav asked Rabbi Hanin, and some say that Rabbi Shmuel bar Nadav, the son-in-law of Rabbi Hanin, who asked Rabbi Hanin, and some say that he asked Rabbi Shuban Levi, what is different? Notable about someone with Saras, a leper, that the Torah says he shall dwell alone outside of the camp, shall be his dwelling, by Yikra points out. He deserves this punishment because by speaking malicious speech, by speaking Lashonar, by speaking Motzi Shemra, by trying to get between a man and his wife, by trying to get between a man and his friend, trying to get between people and Klyasrom, he deserves to be put aside and separated from Klyasrom. He got between one person and another, so he is separated from one person and another to not be in the camp. Hashem calculates precisely the action we do for us as well. Interestingly, Miriam talked about Moshe not being with his wife, Zipporah. And what do you think Miriam's punishment was? Saras. And what did she have to do? She had to wait outside the camp alone for seven days. That's the punishment. Getting involved in the relationship between husband and wife, between friends, Saras, is being separated from the community at large. Because Hashem calculates precisely the actions we do to others for us as well. And the Gemara talks about that in Rosh Hashanah, in accordance with the statement of Rav Chissa, Rav Chissa said that people who, who sin with different ways, they're going to be punished in different ways as well. If you if you cause anger to a person, if you cause embarrassment, by the way, the the punishment technically is is death. Someone who is malbim penei chaver it's better to jump in a burning fire fiery fire furnace than to embarrass someone in public. How do we know this from different examples? But Tamar, who is about to be thrown into the fire from Yehuda until she sent him the the items went last minute. She didn't know where they were. And also, we know the story from Mar Okfa and his wife. Very very famous story, fascinating story. Mar Okfa would give tzedakah with his wife. 
Always good to do activities, tasks, and whatnot with your wife. So they would give out the tzedakah every day. One day, a poor person that was given by him was very, very curious who was giving him this money all this time. He was like burning with curiosity. And that day, Marukva happened to be late, either from davening or whatnot. So they were going a little late, and the person happened to be home. They see someone dropping off the coins in the pushka on the door. He opens the door. Marukva realizes what's happening. Him and his wife start running, running away. There's nowhere to hide. And in order not to embarrass the person to see that it's this great sage Marukva, what does he do? He jumps into the fire rather than reveal himself to the poor person to see who's giving him the charity. Because it's better to burn by fiery furnace than to burn someone with embarrassment in public. And interestingly, as a footnote to the story, the Gemara talks about how Marukva was singed on his feet, but his wife was completely unscathed. And the question is, why? Weren't they both involved in tzedakah as a side point, a side note? And the answer is, the Gemara talks about how the wife was a little bit more involved in the tzedakah itself. She might have sat the person down, gave them food and what to drink, and Marukva would, would go about getting the money. So since she was a little bit more involved and a little bit more interacting with the people, she merited that she didn't even have burning on her feet, but Marukva did, which is a very interesting side point as well. And of course, we talked about the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to be buried by Moshe, by Hashem, excuse me, because he was involved in burying others. Hashem buried him himself. Mida keneged mida mamash. Hashem took care of him himself. Hinei shaleach. I myself will take care of them. And there is the ability to know that the Mida Kenegan Mida happens, that how you do things is how it's going to come out. And Hashem says, if you take care of others, I will take care of them, especially the Ger, especially the orphan. You take care of them, I will take care of you, because I will hear their outcry. They will cry out to me, and I will make sure to take care of you and the way you take care of others. Don't let my anger blaze forth to put you by the sword, and we don't want anyone to be to be to to have anything. We don't want anything in your family to happen in a bad way, as, the, as it points out in Shemos. You, as you shall do, it shall be done to you. And Ovadia also points out. And they talk about this in many different aspects. Adoni Bezek in, in, in the Shoftim and in Shmuel Alf, the very famous example of Agak Shmuel says, as you caused others to lose out, so too your mother will lose out because you're going to be killed by me. And in Devarim it points out, if you incense Hashem with, with, with idolatry, Hashem will be incensed against you. These are all different examples how we could see Mida, Keneg, and Mida. Miriam, of course, we talked about, and the source itself is in Bamidbar, Parak Yudbet, and Rashi points out that she had to be voided for seven days because of the embarrassment of talking out against Moshe. And you should know, by the way, that Mida, Keneg, and Mida is not only against people, not only against great sages, not only against great people, but even how we treat other things in our life, not just other people. Shmuel Aleph, Parak Chavtal. David is being pursued by his father-in-law. You think you have difficulties with in-laws? You think you have difficulties with people in general? No more complex relationship, more difficult to understand, and more difficult to read about than David and Shaul. Shaul is David's father-in-law. David is married, I forget, to one or two of of. of Shaul's daughters, he has a couple of wives, obviously, but one of them for sure is Shaul's daughter. 
And David was the heart player for Shaul and the arm bearer for him also in some aspects. He was best friends with Shaul's son. He was slated to take over after Shaul, but some sort of, of spirit of melancholia, depression, or some sort of a mental illness took over Shaul towards the end. And he would relentlessly pursue his own son-in-law. Can you imagine? Literally to want to kill him. And when Yehonasan tries to stand up for David, Shaul literally throws a spear at his own son, almost harming Yehonasan himself just for speaking up for David, who ran away from the feast. They had this beautiful Torah, tragically beautiful, about the signs of the guy shooting the arrows before or behind him. We read this usually on Machar Chodesh, a very hauntingly beautiful Torah. And this is a very complex relationship. And time and time again, Shaul wants to kill David, wants to harm David, wants to do bad against David. David finally has the chance, a couple of times really, especially one time, to take Shaul out. His people tell David, David, take him out. And and David says, I'm not going to lift up my hand against the anointed of Hashem. Mind you, David is also the anointed of Hashem. Granted, at this point, he's only in Hebron, only in Yehuda. Not everybody knows about him. Not until like seven years in does he really reside and preside over everybody for the last 33 years. But regardless, David sees Shaul. He sees him in the the cave. Another time he hides in a cave and there's a spider there because Hashem makes it look like it was an old uninhabited one. But Hashem made a miracle that the spider was there. That's why we talk about how every animal, every creature, every item, every person has their 50 minutes and has their place. This Perkelva says every item, every person has its hour, has its need. But one time David encounters Shaul and his men in in the cave. They're sleeping on guard and David could easily take them out. Easily could take Shaul out. Does he do so? Of course not. What does he do instead? Vayakam David, Vayichros es kanaf hamail, asher la Shaul balat. Shmuel Aleph, Parakhaftalad, Pasuk, hey. David goes and stealthily cuts off the corner of Shaul's cloak. This is a message, a hint, an intimation to Shaul. Look what I could have done. I could have killed you. And he calls out to me, wakes him up and says, Look, Shaul, I have nothing against you. I could have killed you. But I took your cloak just to show you. Please, peace be upon us. And Shaul says, You're right. You're right. And then, of course, he goes after him another time after that. But what is the punishment for David? There is a punishment for David, actually even though he was doing this just to prove a point, because on some level, because he was a great Sadiq, on some level, because of the mistreatment to the clothing, the clothing fails David. Where do we see this? Malachim Aleph, Perak Aleph, the end of David's life. My Haftorah obviously is right after this, for Vayichi, when when uh, David is literally about to die and gives his over his last will and testament, Shlomo. But right before that, the Perak before this, literally... Perak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, Ha-Melech David Zakein, Ba-Bayamim, Va-Yechasuhu Ba-Begadim, V'lo Yicham Lo. King David was now old, advanced in years, by the way, he was only 70 at this point, and though they covered him with blankets and with bedclothes, he could not feel warm. Why do you think this happened? Rashi points out, but he was not warmed. Our rabbi said, He who disgraces his clothing will ultimately be deprived of their pleasures. Mesechas Procho 62b, David's clothing did not warn him, did not warn him, because he tore off the corner of Shaul's rope. The Medrash states, Rabbi Shmuel Barnachmini says, As David saw the angel standing near Shalim with a sword on his hand, his blood became cold from fear. That's another aspect, but... Seriously, we look at this idea, we see that 
The way you treat clothing is the way it's going to treat you. David cut off the piece of fabric and the fabric failed him in the end of his life, in the end of his days. Even to mistreat animals or objects with disrespect is not a good thing to do because it come back at you and it could come to hurt you, God forbid. Because we have to make sure to treat things with respect and to have good manners, not only to measure out the fact of Mida, Kenegan Mida, but also to have good manners. The Enyaka points out in Kedushim, good manners, someone who has good manners won't come to crimes. If you have knowledge and you have wisdom and you have good manners, that is a good thing to have. Good conduct comes with experience and moral instruction by the instability of time, polite manners, those who are intelligent, the Mivchar Paninim points out. Good manners are the stepping stones to a high rank. Milchar opinion points out, and the Gemara in Shabbos points out in Lamed Aleph, the very famous example, when we talk about it's all in the measure, it's not just about Midah connected Midah, it's also about having good Midahs in general. The Gentile comes, he wants to convert, he comes to Shammai, Shammai says, nope, can't do this, and he's about to smash him with a builder's cubit, which is not for now, but really not great education in my opinion, but obviously we can't judge much higher level than us. Shammai pushes him away with the builder's cubit. This was a common measuring stick, and Shammai was a builder by trade. But the same Gentile comes to Hillel. Hillel is an amazing character. I talked about him in the past. Fascinating character. Has great sayings. Also a great teacher. A lot of patience. He says one thing to him. That which is hateful to you, do not do to another. That is the entire Torah. The rest is in interpretation. Go study. Make sure to have good manners. Do not do to others as you would not do to as you would not want done to you. Treat others as you would like to be treated, which is the golden rule. Understand that we have to be possessing good manners and having the good ideas to do mita kanegamita to put things out into the world so that it comes back to you in the right aspect. The more Torah Mishnah Avos teaches us in Bet Zion, the more Torah, the more life, the more sitting with the scholars, the more wisdom, the more counsel, the more understanding, the more charity, the more peace. You acquire a good name, that's what you're acquiring for yourself. Kesser, Shem Tov is the best Kesser to have in the entire life. If one acquires for himself the knowledge of Torah, you acquire the life in the world to come. What is the right way to live? Mishnah Avos also talks about in Bet Tet. Rabbi Elazar says a good eye. Rabbi Shua says a good companion. Rabbi Yossi says a good neighbor. Rabbi Shimon says foresight. Rabbi Elazar says a good heart. I actually used this for my Devar Torah when I was valedictorian of my graduating day class of LIU Brooklyn OT school. I felt like this was a perfect Mishnah for us to live by. If you have a good heart, you have the ability to be good in nature, and you try. Obviously, people stumble, people fall. Everyone has their own afflictions, addictions, have their own things to fight and combat and bad midos in life. But at the essence, at the core, at your basic foundation, to have a good heart, to have a giving heart, is the best midah to have. If you put that into the world, how could you not have good midah connected midah come back? How could you not be a good neighbor if you have a good heart? How could you not have a good eye? How could you not have good foresight? And how could you not be a good companion and a good friend if you have that good heart? That's the best path to go about. And that's what Rav Yochanan says. And obviously the opposite, an evil heart will lead to all evil things, as the Mishnah points out otherwise. If people are pleased with you, God is pleased with you, as the Mishnah points out in 3.10. And Gimel Yud and Perkeovus also. If people are displeased with you, Hashem is displeased with you. So make sure that people are pleased with you as well.
And also in Gimel, Yud Zayin, Perkei Avos, Rabbi Elizabeth Nazario, Omrim, Ein Torah, Ein Derech Eretz. But in Ein Derech Eretz, Ein Torah. Where there's no Torah, there's no proper manners and proper conduct. But if there's no proper manners, if there's no proper conduct, there can be no Torah. Derech Eretz, proper manners, good midos, getting it to be in all in the right measure, mida kenegan mida, that is what we need to have, what we want to have. That is really the best way to go about it to make sure that we're having the right derech eretz, that we're having the right midos, we're having the right aspect. Derech eretz comes first. There were 26 generations before the Torah came. Why? Because we needed all those generations to increasingly become better and better to make sure that we had the right aspect, where we have the right derech eretz, where we have the right ability to be involved in these kind of things, to make sure that the derech eretz is there, to make sure that we're listening and we're learning and we're proper path and the proper aspect. 26 generations of Ayyakarapa points out to teach us the tree of life is the way of the Torah to lead us to the Torah. We need good character traits, good attributes. Derech Eretz preceded the Torah by 26 generations because all the good character traits and attributes are included in Derech Eretz, ingrained in human nature, before of the giving of the Torah, which came to build on all of these things. Derech Eretz, Kad Torah, comes first. Of course, other things puts a man out of this world. If he's envious and he wants more money and wants more honor, that's going to put him out of the world. Don't speak before those who are greater than you. Don't break into a fellow's speech. Don't be hasty to answer. Speak relevant, answer relevant, as Mishnah Avos points out in Hey Zion. Understand that you could be a pious person if you say that what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. The best character trait to have in Parak Hey. We're actually going to get to that in God willing a little while on the P. And the Tani Talks Pergelis TTPA, we do that on weekdays, now in Season 6 on all podcast forums. And of course, one who wants to give and that others should give is also one of the best meters to have, as Pergelis points out in Hayyud Gimel. And we want to be one of the disciples of Avraham in Hayyud Tet, a good person, a good eye, a humble spirit, and a moderate appetite. That's someone who's a disciple of Avraham. And make sure not to have envy in your heart that this Gemara Shabbos points out, and make sure to give generously and to show your nature in all aspects. The Gemara Ervin points out in Samachim, there are three ways to analyze a person, in his cup, in his pocket, and in his anger. A person's true character is ascertained in how he behaves when he drinks, I don't drink, by nature, by principle, even on Pesach, even on Purim, even on Simchas Torah, which is not a mitzvah, and Purim is only a mitzvah at the Suda, by the way. A person can be judged by how they drink, how they act when they're drunk. Unfortunately, how they act with their pocket. Are they are they generous in finances? Are they generous in life and in his anger? A person also reveals himself in, in his laughter as well. But we know that we need to be giving in all aspects, in all natures. We know that we have to be good in our midas and good in our mida keneged mida. Learn from those around you. Gemar Ervin Kuf points out, you can learn modesty from the cat. You can learn that stealing is objectionable from the ant, doesn't take from another ant. You can learn how to be with with loyalty from the dove and how to be proper from other aspects. Look at the animals and look at the things around you. You can learn different things from different people. Hashem loves different types of people. Someone who doesn't get angry, someone who doesn't get drunk, someone who's forgiving. Good thing I don't do alcohol, I guess. Another way for Hashem to love us. Make sure to be involved with those kind of things, as the Gemara points out in Pesachim, Kof Yud Gimel. If you're a flatterer, if you're a cynic, if you're a liar, if you're slanderer, Gemara Sota points out in Membet, you won't get to green Hashem. 
Main, make sure to be involved in diligence and caring for Hashem, caring for others. Make sure to be cleanly in the soul and cleanly in your life and be pious and humble and pure in nature as much as you can. Gamar Navodazar points out. And make sure to control what you can. The eye, the ear, and the nose are not under your control, but do what you can in general in life. The mouth, the hand, and the foot are under your control. Your actions and mannerisms are under your control. Do what you can. Make sure they're pristine. And make sure to do what you can to to have amends with other people and make sure that you control your temperament, you control your disposition, you have a happy appearance, a happy disposition, you greet people with a pleasant countenance and with a smile on your face. Perkelvis points out, and uh, anger should be avoided at all costs, arrogance should be avoided at all costs, as, as, Gemar, as Rambam points out in the Mishnah Torah, because everything else should be the middle path, and manners are so important to have that you should make sure to... Uh, Appear before Hashem with the proper aspects and peer before everyone in life with a proper conduct and, and not to have rips in your clothing and, and to have the proper the proper type of attitude toward life and make sure to do what you can to have the proper manners in different aspects of your life and understanding that you should be in touch with people and be connected to people in your town and around your town. Do what you can to connect to the world. Even something as simple as thank you and getting permission for different things. You know, when Avraham left Egypt, he went back to the same inn from his way in on his way out because he felt like when you go on the route, you're supposed to be in the same way. When Moshe leaves to go to Mitzrayim, he doesn't leave without telling his father-in-law, telling Israel, because he said, I'm going to ask for doing so. And when Moshe goes to talk to the people, was it really, and goes back to talk to Hashem, was it really necessary? Hashem knows everything, but that is, Moshe said, when I'm sent as a messenger, I'm going to relay the message. And we should do what we can to be involved in the proper manners as well. And manners comes upon on many different levels. Courtesy extends to hosts, to guests, to walking with others, and even to lodgings. I always say that proper manners is really a basic thing. We teach our kids, but we're lacking it so often nowadays. Talk to the barista who gives you your, your drink. Talk to the teller. Talk to the security guard, to the crossing guard. I actually know them by name. Willie helps my children cross the street. Joe is one of the security guards who is involved in the security patrol of the town, of the school, excuse me, in the town that my kids go to. I try to learn a lot of their names. I don't learn all their names, but I try to. And when I speak to someone, I say, hi, how are you today? What's your name? How's your day going? Do you know that literally changes their call, the customer service? Thank you so much for asking me, sir. No one ever asks me that. Thank you for asking my name. No one ever tells me. You'll get more with that than going and yelling and irating yourself against the people, by the way. Just a, a fact for life. And of course, speak a little but do much. One of the best pristine meters to have meters connect a meter like Avraham. And Mora Advia Sehar Bez, the Radak points out in Baratius, Avram talked about giving a little bit of bread, but he gave so much to the guests who are not even humans. Say a little, but do a lot. Do what you can to be involved in serving others and doing for others. Consider yourself with good manners, have the proper manners in your life to make sure that you're able to interact with people and in life. The law of the land, of course, follow the laws of the land. Make sure to host people properly, to walk them out the door, and to give to guests properly more than yourself, and to make sure that the house is nice for them and they have what they need. And make sure that they're served first, 
make sure that they're taken care of. And, and that's not just guests in your home, but guests in your car if you're driving them, or even people at work, coworkers. It's always good to have good manners. It's always a lesson for life. Even if we get rich and successful and famous and popular, which we should all be Zohem, but it's always good to have good manners, to have proper manners, to give to others and to do for others. The way we dress, the way we talk, the priorities we should have are all things that we should have. Not only Mida Kenegan Mida, but good manners in general and table manners in all aspects of the world, the ways of the world, we should do what we can to have proper manners wherever we go. Because what we do affects others. Spread good and do good. In the exact way we affect others, we get affected. Hashem calculates precisely the action we do for others for us as well. Even a small act will be rewarded in kind the same way it was done. Beware to treat even animals and objects with respect because they can fail you one day. Make sure to have good manners, treat others like you would want to be treated. There's Kadamala Torah, proper manners comes first. Your actions and mannerisms are under your control. Usually use the middle path, except anger and arrogance where the opposite is needed. Proper manners in dress, eating and speaking, courtesy to hosts and guests, walking with others in lodgings. Be like Avram, say little and do a lot. Don't follow the ways of secular society and the non-Jews. Do what we can to be pristine. Manners are not always inborn, but have to be taught, not nature, but nurture. Dina del Machusadina, of course, the law of the land. Take care of others, especially guests, in any way you can. Show good manners in all aspects of your life, even if you get rich, successful, famous, or popular. And it applies to how we dress, how we talk, priorities we should have, and proper manners should be wherever we go in life. Oftentimes, as we think about what happens to us in our life, it might be difficult to get up and go. It was many times I questioned many things. I lost my dad. I lost my brother. Now my niece just passed. And these are terrible things in life. And we think about, what about these things I give to the world? I'm generous. It's so hard. Really, we have to get up and say we have to be involved in proper manners and we have to be involved in being able to have that media connected media putting good into the world and making sure that good manners are in the world to make sure that good things happen in this world. This should be an Eloi Nishama for Ruhama Tikva Bas Eliezer David. Anyone interested in joining the beautiful initiative is encouraged to do so, to be involved in this wonderful endeavor, to be involved in this wonderful aspect is join is Called on to join the chesedfund.com slash ruchama tikva slash ruchama dash tikva dash mikva. The aliyah should have an, the neshama should have an aliyah. This, of course, has been Tani Talks Radio, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep God willing. Join us next time at the pre-Pesach Shir, where we talk about freedom and different aspects here on Tani Talks Radio. And I'm your host, Tani.